what do you think of when you think of the term a holy person? Maybe you think of an Indian mystic who's sitting at the top of a mountain meditating. Maybe you think of a quiet pastor uh, sitting with his Bible, reading and preparing for a sermon. Well, if you're like me and have sat through many sermons about John the Baptist, you will have found that this character is, in fact, one of the greatest images you have in your mind of what a holy person looks like. Here's a guy who spends his days out in the wilderness preaching a message of repentance. Here's a person who fearlessly speaks the truth, even under difficult circumstances. And here is a man who, as we find at the end of his life, gives up his life as a martyr because he refuses to stop speaking the truth even to those in power. Yet one of the problems we have sometimes at looking at holy people like John the Baptist and seeing their great effects is that we look from the end of their life and project earlier and forget that the end of their life only happened and the great things they did at the end of their life only after a long period of preparation. Today we look not at the death of John the Baptist, today we look at the birth of John the Baptist. And this is a birth that I think speaks to us in many ways. But I'd like to suggest that today two of the most important ways that we are taught through this lesson of John's birth is the lesson of patience and the lesson of trusting in God's promises. I'd like to speak to you today about those two themes, about patience and about promise, and about how these things speak to us today when we find ourselves on that troublesome and often difficult road of following Christ in the modern world. Here's one of the things that's really interesting about this passage. What's interesting about this passage is the way that it actually ends here at the Gospel. What do we find happens with John in verse 80 of chapter 1? After all these great things we hear, the child grew, that is John, and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. Now this is a significant fact because it tells us something really important. It tells us not just that this person dropped out of heaven and started doing great, fantastic spiritual ministry. It tells us that there was a very long period of preparation before John the Baptist became St. John the Baptist we revere today. In fact, there's a very long backstory that starts all the way back with his parents. If you had read a little bit earlier in chapter 1, you will have found out how the birth of John the Baptist comes about. We're told that John is born of two parents. And one of these parents is a man named Zechariah. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth are very old. And Zechariah is a priest who serves in the temple of God in Jerusalem. But Zechariah and Elizabeth, we are told, are righteous people, but they are also people who are deeply disappointed in some serious ways. We're told that Zechariah and Elizabeth, although they go about their lives in a faithful way serving God, are disappointed because they are people who have never received the gift of a child that they long for so dearly. One of the things we know from the ancient world is how important children were. They were important because there was no social welfare net in the same way we have today. In your old age, you look to children to care for you and to look after you when you find your ability to do work becomes less. But there was something more than that. The gift of children was an indication that you had a future ahead of you. I mean, after all, throughout much of the ancient world, people would live anonymous lives. They wouldn't get big plaques behind their names. They wouldn't be people known to historians. What would they have? They would have children who carried on their names, who carried on the things that they loved, the craft, the practice, the way that they did things were things that lived on in their children, just as they live on in our lives today. 
we care for children today, what do we hope? We hope to say, well, that child has her mother eyes or her father's interest in sports or that little child has that same energy that I saw in my own parents and in her grandparents. We find these things as opportunities for us to live on and Zechariah and Elizabeth, though faithfully serving God, we are told, do not have the delights of children they so deeply longed for. We find these people patiently serving, patiently caring for the Lord, and then finally, despite all their expectations, now they are too old naturally to have children. An angel visits them and tells them they will have a child and he will do great and wonderful things. One of the most important things that comes out of this passage is the fact that these people and their faithfulness and patience are what was necessary for John the Baptist to become what he was. And after all, John the Baptist becomes a great person because he learned at the feet of his parents and learned in his time in the wilderness to grow in faith. One of the biggest challenges we have as modern-day Christians is that we have heard many great stories and testimonies of people doing great things for God. We look at other people and we look at the ways that they've served him well. We look at great figures like Mother Teresa, or maybe we look at, at those great preachers of old. And we say how wonderful it is the ministry they do, or maybe the everyday saints we see around us who in their old age continue to care for the people around them and inspire people by their holiness and their love. And we look at these great things, but one of the great challenges we have is that sometimes we tend to forget that they didn't start out that way. And in fact, it is the steady application of faithfulness that helps you grow in holiness day by day. Today, of course, we'll have a baptism. And little Eddie will be baptized in a few minutes' time. But one of the reasons why our church, along with historic churches, have have baptized infants and not just related only to adults is because of a recognition that in caring for children in a person coming to faith there is a unique and special role that the community at large the community of the faithful and particularly the love and care of their parents have in making that person grow into the person who freely chooses to follow Christ one of the things that makes a person come to believe in the goodness and the love of our Lord is day by day seeing the love and the care their parents and the people of the church have for them. And this is something we learn as parents very easily. We learn, of course, that the great things in parenting and the way you produce mature, responsible adults is not just by great gestures. You produce mature adults by the steady application of good and healthy love. Just a few days ago, uh, we had spoken with our children about uh, how we want to get a dog. And so as it turns out that my uh, wife is, works with the person who had a dog and they're going away on vacation. So we said, you know what would be a good thing for us to do? It would be a good thing for us to babysit this dog and give you a little taste of what it would be like. And we said, you know how difficult it is, right? You know the things you have to do with a dog when you've got one. You've got to take them out. You've got to feed them regularly. You've got to play with them. You've got to exercise them. Oh, of course we're going to do that, right? What happens a couple days ago when the dog arrives? Right? We, we are all excited, wow, this doggie's here. And can we pet her and can we uh, snuggle with her and can we go play in the yard? Sure, of course. Mm -hmm. And so then uh, next morning happens and the dog needs a walk and, oh, I'm tired. Uh, didn't you just say two days ago how much you would walk this dog? Oh, but dad, I'm tired. I don't want to get out of bed and I don't want to do this. And so you, no, 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 you've got to go and do this. And then uh, what happens? Well, my daughter comes home earlier than the other kids. And so uh, remember, when you get home, go and walk the dog. Sure. So what happens when I phone? Have you walked the dog? Oh, no, I, I'll, go, I'll go and do that now. 
or to remember that dogs don't use the toilet, right? So don't forget those little blue baggies. And what do I have to do? What do I have to pick up? What you have to do when you find that you've got a dog and you've got children excited about having a dog is that each time you're constantly on them saying, you've got to do this whether you want to or not. And you do this not because it's always fun and not because you get your name in a headline in the newspaper, parent makes a uh, person go out and walk the dog. Instead, it's because day by day, doing this for your children, the simple things that are showing them responsibility, done over days and weeks and months and years is what raises them to become the children, become mature adults who treat animals well and who also treat their fellow human beings well. Do you care for the weak and the vulnerable who depend on you by taking this dog for a walk and caring for its needs and me making you do this? I hope makes you grow into a more empathetic, sympathetic, caring person. When we think about the life that we have as Christians, it's easy for us to forget that a tremendous reason why we grow into the mature adults, the kind of person John the Baptist is, the person who speaks the truth even to the point of death, is because he learns from those who are more mature. He learns from those who have known the Lord and walked patiently with God, even though the benefits of walking with God were not immediately evident. Zechariah and Elizabeth walked with God for decades of their life, even though the thing they hoped for so dearly did not happen until the very end of their lives. And yet because of that faithfulness and goodness, tremendously working through his parents and working through John himself and his preparation in the wilderness, John the Baptist became the man that he was, became a man who Jesus himself says, of anyone born of a woman up until this point, no one is greater than John the Baptist. And we remember John the Baptist with fondness and love because he was the one with courage who prepared the way of the Lord. This is an encouragement to us in our daily lives as we raise our children, an encouragement to us as we attend church, and many times find that these things are not as rewarding as we wish they were. As electrifying as every sermon is when you come here to Good Shepherd, there are times where your mind is elsewhere, where you'd rather be golfing, where there are other things you wish you could do, and why do you come? Because you know the steady application of the Word of God, and the steadily reception of the sacraments, and steadily participating in singing songs of praise to our God, slowly and surely, when, come, when coming with an open heart, shapes us into the kind of people that Jesus says of, well done, good and faithful servant. For day by day you have become more and more like the person I made you to be, because you opened your heart day by day to be shaped by the godly people and processes around you. So there's the first thing I think we learn from the birth of John the Baptist, the importance of patience in following and serving our Lord. Here's the second thing, though, the importance of a promise. Many of you who are uh, old-school Anglicans, let's say, will remember this passage uh, from your early days. This is a passage called the Benedictus. Verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Chapter 1, verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And he goes on to talk about the fulfillment of this promise God has made and about the promise he makes about his son and how he will go to prepare the way of the Lord. But here I find really interesting 
Do you notice how Zechariah is saying these words as if what has been promised has already happened, when in fact it hasn't completely been fulfilled? Listen again to what he says. Verse 69, he has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus, son of David. Do you know where Jesus is at this point? He is in the womb of his mother Mary. In fact, he is saying he's raised up for us a mighty Savior, and then later he says that we would be saved from our enemies from the hand of all who hate us. He's talking about something that will happen, and it hasn't happened yet. In fact, even in the womb of Mary, Mary's only three months pregnant. He wouldn't have even been able to see a baby bump at this point. How is it that he would know that this Savior has been uh, given? Only because of what Mary said, an angel came to visit me and said, you will conceive and in your womb you will have this child who will be the Savior, the son of David. Why is it that Zechariah is so certain? Why is it that Zechariah is filled with joy? Why is it that Zechariah can, despite his old age, proceed with confidence in raising his son in the belief that great things will be done through him? He does because he believes in God's promise and he knows he has a purpose in life because of what God has promised. But here's what's really interesting, I think. He believes God's promise because he just saw how God had made a promise and fulfilled it. God blessed Zechariah and Elizabeth and he holds on to the blessing of this child that God gave and said, because of this blessing, I know God can be trusted. Even though the things he has said have not come to pass, I know they will. I think for many of us, it's very hard to hold on to God's promises, particularly in times that life is difficult. When you face illness, when you lose somebody that you love, when your job is threatened, when you find yourself assailed by depression and anxiety, how hard is it for us to hold on to the promises of God that says, you will serve me without fear all the days of my life? How hard is it for us to hold on to the belief that God has told us we are his children and nothing, no principality, no power in heaven and earth will separate us from the love of God? How hard is it for us to trust that God has purposes and plans for us when the bottom drops out of our life and we feel that there is a sense of meaningless about us, meaninglessness about us? How hard is it for us to believe in God's promises? I think here when Zechariah speaks and says, God has as much as done this simply because he said it, even though I don't see it, I know it, because God has said it. How can he have such trust? How can we have such trust? By holding on to the blessings of God in which he has provided good things for us, and let these things be a reminder to us in tough times that God's promises of blessing will still come true. And one of the great things, too, about having children and having them baptized is to say, I don't know what this child is going to be. God is making promises that I will sign you with the cross and mark you as Christ's own forever. He makes promises and says, I've made you part of my household. He's made promises to say, no matter how prodigal a son you may be, I will always be on the horizon scanning for you to come back. And then when you come back, I will embrace you. I will place the robe upon your shoulders. I will kill the fatted calf. I will place the family ring on your finger. I will welcome you as if you had never been gone because you are my beloved daughter, my beloved son. These promises are things God is making to Eddie today. How do you hold on to that when he may stray and when you find yourself in a difficult position because your child is making you want to tear out your hair? You hold on to also the fact that God has given you this child. 
I'm going to hold this little one in my arms and say, man, what a blessing this little one is. And a proof to us and a sign to us of how good our God really is. When you find your life struggling, when you find yourself having a hard time believing in God's promises, one of the greatest things we can do is look back in our lives and ask where God has blessed us. Has God given you the gift of children? Has he given you the gift of friends? Has he given you the gift of his love? And have you felt it in those times when you desperately needed it? When things get dark, hold on to what God has given to you. Lean on to the friends that God has given to you. Lean on the church that God has given to you. And lean on the word that God has given to you. When his promises are hard to trust in, and when you find yourself wandering sometimes without understanding God's meaning and purpose for your life, remember where he has blessed you and let that remind you that God has not forgotten you even in the times of darkness. What does Zechariah and Elizabeth's experience teach us? What does the birth of John the Baptist teach us? It teach us as, teaches us that patience and service of God is a patience that is well worth having because it's the small things that we do day by day that raise up the great people and the great change in us that needs to happen. And also remember that when we hold on to things God has given to us in blessing, it makes it so much easier to trust in the great promises God makes us, the promise of never leaving or forsaking us, and ultimately the promise of raising us up even when death takes us. Our Lord's promises are true and can be counted on. And so let's live a life in the assumption that what God has said will come to pass, and let us live this life without fear.